Amen. Thank you, worship team. And uh, hey, just as we're settling in, I want to extend a thank you to everybody. Last week at Harvest Festival was just fantastic. So thank you very much. Yeah, give yourselves a hand. Thank you very much for... I um, don't know how many people came all together, but I do know that we gave out 330 hot dogs. So that was kind of fun. I know we didn't have 330 people because I uh, ate three hot dogs myself. But the bouncy house was fun. We met people from the neighborhood and people from the schools. And it was just a cool community time. Gave people a safe environment where kids can just come and play and eat candy and jump around. And it was really great. Part of being in the church together is to serve and to reach out to the community. And we were definitely doing that last week at Harvest Festival. So thank you very much for that. Um, also, Terrence did at the beginning of service, so I just got to give a shout out to the Giants. It's so good, man. It's all good, you know. Um, and then, uh, you know, go Oakland A's next year, you know. <laughs> all right. Now, if you've been here um, with us for a little bit, uh, you know we've been in a series of uh, Ten Commandments, and we're calling it Ten for Good because the Ten Commandments is really given to us by God and given to the community for good. And uh, we are now in the last half of the Ten Commandments, and they're really set up for the goodness of relationships, especially these last five. And so if you're here two weeks ago, you knew that we looked at the uh, commandment, uh, don't murder. And that's all about preserving life. It's all about affirming the goodness of life. And then, if you were here with us last week, you know that the commandment was about Uh, don't commit adultery. But the positive side of that is really about affirming relationship. And we talked about how important it is in a community, and especially in that community, to honor the marriage relationship. And there's a progression here, because today the commandment is about stealing. But really, if you look at the, the progression of these three commandments, it's about preserving life, then about preserving relationships, and then it's about preserving stuff. Our life is very important, and then our relationships, our key relationships in our lives, and then, and then our, our stuff. And God lays out this guideline about guarding and protecting stuff, because stuff is important. So if you've got your Bible with, with you, or you want to just look on the screen, The verses for today, again, are really short, but we stand under Scripture as a people. And so the verse for today is Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. And this commandment reads like this. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. It's a very easy memory verse. You guys probably already got it, right? You go, hey, I learned a memory verse today. You shall not steal. But today what we're going to look at in the message is we're going to look at stealing, we're going to look at stuff, the stuff we've got, and then we're going to look at stewardship. We're going to look at stewardship over the stuff we have. Now, I listen to NPR, National Public Radio. It's like the biggest nerd radio station in the entire Bay Area. And they did, yeah, NPR, nerds unite. All right. And so they were doing this interview with this guy, and I thought this was really cool. His name is Apollo Robbins. 
I don't know if any of you have heard of Apollo Robbins. You know what he does for his job? He is a professional pickpocket. Apollo Robbins has this show in Las Vegas, and his job is to steal from people. And so people go to the show in Las Vegas, and they get up on stage, and he's really actually this master in misdirection. He's really able to distract people, and while he's talking to you, he's able to take stuff from you. Like he can take your wallet, he can take your car keys, he's just talking, he's just doing your show, he's having you do stuff. He can take your wristwatch. And in the interview, they show, hey, what's the toughest thing to take off of somebody? He goes, you know, it's really tough, I can do it, but eyeglasses, This guy can take the eyeglasses off your face. The guy did professional stealing. In the year 2000, he tells this story about how Jimmy Carter comes to see the show. President Carter. And they're like, oh man, don't mess with the president. Don't steal anything. But then the manager of his show says, hey, you know, this could be kind of fun. Why don't you go work some secret service? Why don't you go up to some of the secret service guys and see what you can get from them. So it's like, okay. So Apollo Robbins is working his show, and he goes up to Secret Service guy, and he gets a watch. He goes up to another Secret Service guy. He gets their credentials, like badges and stuff. A little bit later, he goes, hey, check this out. Keys to the presidential motorcade. I mean, he's working the secret service. I mean, it's hilarious. People are loving it. I think it actually, I don't know for sure, check your facts, but I think it actually develops into a job with like secret service. Like how do you like not get duped by professional crime people like this? It's hilarious, right? People go to Las Vegas, they pay money to get ripped off, right? But what happens in life if you get ripped off and it's actually not a part of the show. Stealing in real life. I was thinking about this a little bit. Have you ever had something stolen from you? Or somebody that you love and you get something stolen from, they get something stolen from them. Man, what goes on in your life and in your heart? Evelyn and I have had a car stolen. Uh, You know, we've had friends that have um, been robbed uh, maybe at gunpoint, it's hard, kind of hard to tell. You know, we've had friends who were robbed. I know people who, whose homes have been broken into, and then their homes are ransacked and turned upside down, and stuff's just taken. You know, what happens when we get stuff stolen from us, or we have loved ones who are robbed? There's this huge sense of violation There's just, you know, it's like, I've just been violated. It's just not right. We feel angry. Maybe we feel helpless. And what happens inside of us is that there's this kind of destruction that takes place because we experience a violence that happens to ourselves when our stuff is stolen. And see, when God lays out these commandments, He's laying it out for good and for the preservation of people. And he's saying, you know, stealing violates people. So we shouldn't do that because it destroys relationships. 
See, guarding and preserving our things is, is important. Now, I'm not talking about the idolatry of stuff. You know, I'm not talking about worshiping stuff or overt consumerism. But we do see in God's word that there's something that's special and even sacred about our physical existence. And there's a sacredness that's associated even with the things that we have. Things that we have that contribute to our very existence. I mean, imagine in your own life. What are the things in your life that carry sentimental value? Maybe they don't have a lot of value out there in the market. Maybe, you know, upon a pawn shop. But don't we all have things that have sentimental value to us? They're precious to us because they add to the goodness of our lives. Now, if, something gets, if that thing gets stolen, it takes away from the goodness of our lives. And that's what God is getting at here. And God is acknowledging that the stuff that we have matters. And there's a destructive way to deal with this, with the stuff that dishonors God and dishonors other people. And that's when that stuff is stolen. And there's an honoring way to deal with our stuff. And that's stewardship. We're going to get to that a little bit at the end of the message. But we understand stealing from our perspective. Like if stuff gets stolen from us, it violates us. But I'm going to shift gears here a little bit and look at stealing from the other perspective. I'm going to look at now stealing from the act itself. So here's a question for you. Have you ever stolen anything? All right, so right now I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and just say, no, I'm not, we're not going to do that. Right? It's like, hey, welcome to GRX. We're doing meet and greet time. Welcome. Hey, you're new here. Yeah, turn to your neighbor. You don't know them. Share your name and then share if you've ever stolen anything. That's right. We're going to do that. We'll put it on podcast so you get recorded. Right? Right? You know, as kids, you know, maybe we've stolen stuff. I remember one day I was walking through Chinatown just walking through Chinatown. And I don't know why I did this. It's just like a stupid thing. It's, you know, kids aren't always thinking. I, I grabbed the walnut and out of this market, you know, open bins and stuff in marketplace. And I grabbed this walnut. And I just grabbed this walnut and I'm just walking down the street. And I'm just like chucking this walnut up in the air and just catching it. And like, like two blocks later, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just stole a walnut. What am I thinking? Like, <laughs> you know, kids, we like steal stuff all the time. Why we, why we steal stuff? You know, um, I used to uh, uh, work with some guys. We were doing an inner city ministry. It was urban. And um, I used to ask guys why they stole stuff. And they just said they were bored. Sometimes people steal stuff because they were bored. And so you know what they stole? Cars. It was like real-life Grand Theft Auto. These guys stole cars. And then, like, they get them, and they drive them around. They go, hey, I stole a car. I'm like, you guys got to put that back. That's, like, not, that's not a responsible activity. You guys are not being responsible with those. You got to put that back. But they just stole it because they were bored, or they just weren't thinking. But, you know, um, stealing is not just done by kids. In 2013, Forbes magazine ran an article about this. 
Now, Forbes magazine, it's an article that's written for the top percent of people in the world. Right? Who reads Forbes? The richest people in the whole world. And they ran this article, and they looked at this study that was done out of Dartmouth College. Um, Isha Sharman was the, uh, the lead uh, uh, researcher on this out of Rotman School of Management. And the title is a little complicated. It said, financial deprivation selectively shifts moral standards and compromises moral decisions. What does that mean? What does that mean? As Dartmouth College is real smart over there. What it means is that first, people value moral decisions. However, what they found was that when people were feeling financially deprived, they began to compromise their morality. That is, if you feel more deprived, stealing becomes okay. Or more okay. There's another uh, researcher on this, a guy named Adam Alter. He was the assistant professor of marketing at New York University. He co-authored this study, and he went on to say, people who were made to feel deprived even briefly, were more likely to cheat for small sums of money. This, he says, accounts for the everyday crimes like workplace pilfering, whether it's money from the cash drawer or pocketing office supplies. Whoa. Hold on a little bit there, Scott. Just a second. Wait. Pocketing office supplies? That doesn't really come into thou shall not steal, right? I mean, what actually constitutes stealing? There's a guy named David Gill. He's a Christian author and he's a professor of ethics. He used to teach at New College in Berkeley. And he gives a list of what constitutes stealing. Uh, This is his perspective. He says, stealing Keeping the change from a cashier when we have received too much. Stealing is remaining silent when we are not charged enough on a bill. Failing to report all of our income to the IRS. Filing insurance claims or accepting settlements we don't deserve. Taking office supplies for personal use. All right, so I just kept reading because I'm like, all right, that's a little uncomfortable. I'm going to keep reading. He says, but stealing also extends to other forms of misrepresentation for personal gain. He continues with his list, overbilling, third-party pays like an insurance company, presenting someone else's ideas or creations as our own or failing to give credit where credit is due. By the way, did I mention that this list came from David Gill? No. There's a, there's a pastor friend of mine who said he walked into the back of a church and he heard a sermon on thou shall not steal. And it was actually his sermon. <laughs> the pastor had ripped it off off the internet and was just presenting it. Yeah. I'm not going to say who his name was. Anyway. That's also known as plagiarism. If you work in the academic world, you know that, right? It's plagiarism. It's stealing. Stealing for employers is underpaying your employees. 
and stealing from an employee's perspective is failing to work during the time for which we are being paid. What does that look like? Surfing the internet at work? Checking social media? Downloading non-work stuff? How about at your workplace? What do you guys do about office supplies? Food? Coffee? Drinks? Are they for the workplace only, or is it okay to take them home with you? See, I raise this for us as Christians in the real world. Now, now if you're not a Christian and you don't really ascribe to the Bible or you're kind of, you know, I don't know about God, but you haven't really signed on for God, maybe you're an agnostic, then this doesn't really apply to you. You can do whatever you want to at work and whatever your kind of morality lines up, okay? You're, you're off the hook. But if you're a Christian and you say, man, Jesus Christ is my Lord and scripture is important to me and I want to be a follower of God and God says, thou shalt not steal, then we need to enter into this area and say, well, what does scripture say? And how do we enter into this? What I'm calling is the gray area for where you are at work. And the reason I'm calling it a gray area is this, because what is your work culture? What is the policy? What is the practice? And then does the practice make it right or not? See, what I'm talking about is it's not just easy. It's not just this or that, this or that. I mean, to live an authentic life in Jesus Christ, it's not easy, but we are challenged to take on what we see around us and then to look at it and to engage it with intellectual integrity and with integrity with respect to our faith. And then it's a challenge when we decide what we're going to do to live as a faithful steward of what has been entrusted to us. See, I raise these things because workplaces in particular deal with this kind of stuff differently. And as mature Christians, we have to navigate what does that mean. What does it mean in my workplace when I look at everything that I do and what I bring home or I don't bring home and how I work or how I don't work, how I spend my breaks, how much time I take for lunch. In your Christian walk, you guys need to decide. You guys need to figure out what that is. I'm happy to talk with you about that. I'm happy to walk with you in that. But you guys need to look at that and figure that out. Now, to live as a Christian in your workplace means that you guys need to live in the highest integrity. You guys need to live in such a way so that when people look at your life as a Christian, they go, wow, he is living and she is living with such integrity. If that means in your workplace, you guys get an hour for lunch, then take an hour for lunch. And that honors God in your workplace. And that allows you to live with integrity. If you guys aren't supposed, if you guys got like food there, but you're supposed to eat it there, 
and you're not supposed to pack it up and take it home, then eat it there. And don't pack it up and take it home. You're living with integrity in the workplace. But you guys need to decide that. You need to figure out what the culture is in your place of work and live that way. Hey, let me illustrate this as a way of kind of trying to help discern how to do this. And actually, this is, this is applied for you if you want to live with integrity, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. I've found this to be true in my own life. I'm like, where is this line of stealing? If there's something, say, at work, you're thinking about taking it home, think about this. When you put that into your bag or your briefcase or your backpack, is there something in your conscience that gets pricked? You got to be honest. Do you feel like you need to sneak it out? Oh man, I hope nobody sees me put this in there. I mean, only you know that. Do you feel like you need to justify it if someone were to ask you about it? Would you get defensive? Do you feel nervous as you're walking out the front door? If that's your experience, raise pulse rate, sweaty palms, I think it falls into that area of stealing. Oh, man. That's making me feel kind of uncomfortable. That's kind of hard. But right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves and we look out what's going on around us in the culture, I mean, isn't that what's happening? As Christians, as followers of God, we are called to live at a different standard than in the world. We are called to live with a greater integrity. And that's what God calls us to in the Ten Commandments. Why does he call us to that? Because he wants us to live in freedom. Integrity leads to freedom. When you're leaving your workplace, you don't want to be leaving feeling like you got to sneak out, right? There's no freedom there. That's bondage. God doesn't want us to live in that kind of bondage. He wants us to live in freedom. And the way that we live in freedom is to live integrity and to live lives that are true. That's how God intended us to live. So that's a little bit of a look at stealing. I'm just going to move into stewardship because the stewardship is the positive side of this. Stealing is the negative side. Don't steal. But stewardship is how do we manage the property and the stuff and the responsibility that we've been given. Even the responsibility of our time and the stuff that's around us at work. How do we properly manage that? One of those ways that we properly manage that and properly manage the resources we've been given is part of what we do here at GRX with the stewardship. Stewardship we're looking at this week, next week, and the third week. Just We're going to do a pledge campaign. What we're inviting people to do, if you're new to GRX, this is what we do every year. We invite people to say, hey, this is my church home. This is the church that I'm a part of. This is the community that I'm going to contribute to. We invite people to pledge here at GRX to give to our church 
not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, but out of loving response to who God is and out of love for our community that's here. We pledge our finances in support of the ministry of our church to build something good here, to support the kinds of ministry that we can do together, like Harvest Festival last week. And then our giving and our pledging is a sign of our worship. It's a sign of our trust. Hey, God, I'm not going to hold on to everything and everything has got to be up to me. God, I'm going to give over to you some of the resources that you've entrusted to me. I'm going to steward them and trust you to be the one to provide. So as a pastor, I get asked all the time in terms of stewardship, in terms of giving, in terms of my stuff, I get asked these kinds of questions. Okay, offering a tithe, it means 10%. Should I give 10%? Is it required? Is it okay if I give less? What if I give more? Maybe I should give more. And then I always get this question. Should I give on my gross income? (laughs) Or should I give on my net income? You know, you are God's steward. As someone who is maturing in your faith, it's a matter of the heart and a matter of the mind. Growing in Christian discipleship means this. You get to choose. You get to choose. It's between you and God. Pray about it. Pray about what you're going to pledge. Pray about what you're going to give. Think about it. Budget, plan. Open up your heart to God and say, God, what are you calling me to give? It might be more than 10%. It might be less. You might have been tithing on your net and you might sense God saying, hey, you know, trust me. You can tithe on your gross. I was reflecting on this a little bit. You know, in our culture, it's the IRS that gets the first cut. Does the IRS take it out of your net or out of your gross? (laughs) They take it out of your gross. Okay, so what's the difference between tithe and tax? I think it's real simple. Tax is by the law. And tithe is by our love. If GRX is your church home and you love this community, and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is your place, and I just invite you to say, hey, how is my stewardship an expression of my love? Is anybody feeling guilty right now? Interrupt that thought. Don't feel guilty. It's like, how is my giving an expression of my love for God, love for this community, and a thankfulness for God's provision in my life? That's what the tithe is about. It's not legalism. It's not out of fear. Man, if you don't pay your taxes, that's fear. You're going to get, you're just gonna bad things happen to you. It's called audit. You don't want that. But our tithe is out of our love. Love for God and love for our community. You know, are you stealing from God if you don't give X amount? That's the wrong question, my friends. This is the question. How do I give 
in such a way that it expresses my love for God, that it builds up the body of Christ, that it builds relationships with other people. You know, one of my favorite musicals of all time is Les Mis, right? And if you know the story of Les Mis, you know what happens really close to the beginning. The hero, Jean Valjean, he starts the musical as a prisoner. And because he's a prisoner, he can't get a job. It's hard for him to get work. People reject him all over the place because he's a known criminal. So he's really desperate. He's walking around. He's trying to make an honest way, and he can't make an honest living. So then the church takes him in. And the church gives him a place to sleep, gives him a meal. That night, when he's inside the church and everybody goes to sleep, Jean Valjean wakes up and he goes and he collects the silver in the church, puts it in a bag, and he disappears into the night. Well, later on, the police grab him and they bring him back to the church. They got the, the bag of silver, it's all there, and they've got Jean Valjean, and the police are there, and they, they ask the priest, they say, well, hey, we caught this guy, he's got all the church silver, and he says that you gave it to him. But what do you say as the priest? And the priest says, hey, yeah, you know, Jean Valjean, I, you know, I, I did give it to you. And so, hey, police, thanks for doing your job. But, uh, oh, hey, Jean Valjean, you know, you got all that silver, but you forgot the best stuff. Hey, here are some silver candlesticks from the church. Don't forget these also. And he puts them in the bag, and he gives them to Jean Valjean. And the police leave. And then Jean Valjean's now got this whole bag of silver that belongs to the church. And the priest says, hey, with this silver, it's now time for you to become an honest man. Was the priest stealing from the church? Or was he being a good steward of what God had entrusted to him? You know, stewardship is complicated. How do we live with integrity is complicated. But God calls us to Christian maturity to steward our lives in such a way that it shows our love for God and our love for other people. Hey, I'm going to close this message in a little bit of a different way. I'm going to give us a space of just like maybe about five minutes to just reflect on this particular message. There was a lot of different pieces of this message, and I'm going to run through a couple of things that might be on your heart as you heard this message. And in this time of reflection, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward because they're going to play just an instrumental while you're sitting and while you're reflecting. 
If you've got a pen, you might even want to jot down some different stuff on the bulletin. There's a blank space for you to write down some stuff. And these are the things that I'm going to invite you to think about. I mean, we talked about stealing. We talked about stewardship. Are there gray areas in your life where you feel like, man, I feel like I'm tempted to steal? You don't even know why you're doing it, but you just feel like, when you're honest with yourself, you're like, man, there are some things that I just am kind of hiding about. Maybe you're an employer and you're tempted to underpay some people that work for you. Or maybe you're an employee and you're tempted to take stuff home from the office. Or maybe, like that study, you're feeling like you are um, feeling deprived. And you find like, you know, I'm justified in this. And maybe God is saying, you know, maybe you're not. Maybe at work you're like going, man, I'm spending a lot of time on social media. 